0: All right, well today, Seth, and I'm glad that you're able to make it, we're gonna um, dis- discuss something that may or may not be, uh, well, we're, 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 I'm committed to speak to the point. I'm sure. And uh, I hope that you are as well. And just so everyone understands, Seth, these are unusual circumstances. You might say that it's, it really gives room for the Holy Spirit to work because you can see we do not have a lesson plan up on the pulpit laid out. We had to not sit down and practice this or even in very much discuss it at all. So I don't know what he's going to say or what I'm going to say. He may agree with me, he may disagree with me, vice versa. So be patient with us as this is a, you know just basically we're shooting from the hip with a biblical foundation. And so what we're going to look at today is foundational doctrines foundational beliefs that, in my opinion, are undisputed. Mm-hmm. They're, they're historically, and I, I hope that we, if we have time we can show this, that they're unlike other doctrines out there that may or may not be true. They don't have, we'll say, the beginning dating back to the apostolic church, even back to the apostle Paul and Jesus. They have a middle where they're, they've been existing the whole time, and then they have, we'll not necessarily say an end, but they exist today and it's consistent. Some of these uh, doctrines out there that we have, they may have had a beginning that goes back a few thousand years, then they just disappeared. And then they, someone finds a reading or a pamphlet or something hidden or a word hidden in deep in a book and then they resurrect it again. Others didn't ex- ever exist until just a few hundred yes. years, some only a hundred years ago. And we, we wanna look at the doctrines, that, foundational doctrines that we're gonna look at here today I believe, do not fit that, but fit a beginning, a middle, and a self-existence today. So the verse that I'd like to start well, us with. Well,
1: Nathan, before you start, let me say something that everyone can think about. I think part of what contributes to this problem is that every generation does not have to reinvent the wheel. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's things like you mentioned that they're in the Bible that are foundational that we do not have to go all the way back and relay the foundation every single every 40 years, and that seems to be a human tendency sometimes to want to do that. And I think and I can see this because like in what I shared with you earlier, coming out of a even a church structure that you realize that well they've got so much wrong. Sometimes it's a human tendency to just throw everything out the window. Mm-hmm. Throw the baby out with the bathwater, as the old saying goes, and let's start over from a bare ground. And we don't have to do that.
0: And today we are, we're not with, I hope that those are, that hear this lesson um, that are maybe mainstream get something from this. But today I think we're, we're speaking specifically to the kingdom of Israel group of people. Yes. Those who know who they are, yet it seems like we cannot get organized in a way that we have just a few good solid churches, but instead you have a church here and then half a church over here and then you got this guy sitting in his chair, printing <laughs> stuff on Facebook, and everybody is in complete conflict, mm-hmm. and if there ever was a time that we need to get on the same, we need to get come together. We need to find unity. And we're, the, the reality is, we're not going to find unity as long as we're arguing over certain doctrines. And I think that if we get these, there's more, we don't have time to sit here and really hammer this out, but we've got five points we're going to look at today, and I really believe that if we can just submit ourselves and come in agreement to these five points, a lot of these weird teachings out there, these false teachings, and I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. These false teachings and heresies that are coming out of people that are claiming to be God-fearing and God-following Christians, they're coming out because they, they lack these foundations. And so from a breakdown in one of these five points that we're going to look at today, Stems opens up a little door, just a little hole, a portal, and they, they follow that little gleam of light out into this this weird teaching. Some strange place. And, uh, and I, I it, we, need, we need to stop that. We need to get our foundation. We need to stop arguing over our foundation. We need to accept the foundation that is founded in scripture that has the history of the beginning in the apostolic mm-hmm. church with Paul, even with Christ, has been consistent and then still exists today in a, in a strong way and, and stop. I think a lot of it is, Seth, and I have a little psych, psychology background I think a lot of it is is that we've been isolated from the world and the church, we'll say the kingdom Israel believers, for so long we, we kind of get used to the idea of being an outsider. And then all of a sudden you've got a group of people that you're, you're close with and you may have a lot of in common and decide, you know, this doesn't feel right. I need to be an outsider with them too. So I go home and I look for the, the, the weirdest and the strangest and the most... Um, Oddball Oddball thing I can find, and I don't know if it's because we're just used to being special. You know, as a a young person growing up, I didn't like the way people looked at me, mostly because they didn't see me how I really was. They saw me through an eye of, of a lot of lies and false stories. I didn't like that. But with that did come a feeling of, I'm different than you. I know something that you don't. And even though I, you know, I had to stand alone with it, I knew I was special. And I think sometimes when you've been used to being alone, having that special feeling alone, then you come to a a body like a, a church like this, and it's like, oh, we got a lot in common. But I'm not special in this church. I'm not alone here. They all believe like I do. I've got to go dig something up that makes me special. And then we start going down these roads. Okay, well, we don't have a whole lot of time to to bury on that, but let me open it up with this verse. Can I do, that okay? Okay, so this is the the foundation that I I think that we need to really consider. I'm in Ephesians chapter two, and I'm gonna go start in verse number 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby." And this is discussing both as in the Jews or the descendants of Judah, which were a religious organization. And then the Gentiles, the lost 10 tribes of Israel, which were a, a completely godless religious yes. organization. And it came and preached peace to you, which were afar off and to them, that we're nigh. For through him we both have access to one spirit under the Father. Now therefore, ye are, want, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So not this I'm not claiming this is prophetic in any way that fits our current situation, but it does mirror us a little bit in the fact that we have two groups of people that are pretty much at odds that are coming together and that is Paul's goal here is to unite try to not necessarily to find their common ground because they really didn't have any common ground mm-hmm. we have the the Jews over here that were religious and recognized God and 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 his you know miraculous aspect of it but they in traditions that got so drawn into legalism that they just could not swallow who Christ was. Right. And then you have these the Gentiles over here that had walked away from God completely and they're tied up in heathen practices and, and beliefs. And Jesus, although they seem to be more open to it, Jesus was foreign. And so here's Paul trying to tell them, he says, listen, you need to let go of your traditions over here and you guys need to let go of this evil over here and we're gonna find our common ground in Christ. And that's it. What, what you feel, what you think, isn't relevant. And so we read on. And it says, Now therefore, ye no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. And ye are built upon the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple of the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So today, I think we need to just reestablish that foundation. Right. So that we can build something that fits together properly on top of it. And what we've got right now is we've, we've got people that are deliberately going over here and either weakening stones in the foundation or they're, they're, they're taking them out and throwing them away. And then they're trying to build a house on it. Looks good for a little while, but then all of a sudden you get these sag spots where the, the stones are missing, and it's, and it's causing division. It's causing division where it's not necessary.
1: Yeah, right. And, and, you know, it's, a, um, it's interesting, and, and not, I don't want to get off topic here, but the more mainstream church, or well, particularly that the mainstream, I hesitate to use the word Protestant. I don't know what to call them. These religious organizations in our country today, they've created a foundation. They've created their own foundation that's a mile wide, an inch deep in order to bring people together under the guise of let's all just get together and have a good time. Yep. And that's not what the scripture's telling us to do. We have to have it's, it's so important to have these things right, to as Paul said here in that that uh, verse you read that, that if you're going to have a building that's fitly framed together, it's got to set on a solid foundation, which is Jesus Christ. It's not just come when you feel like it and let's have a good time and go on back you know to go, go right back to our lives. So I think that's, that's something that we, we, we really, really need to get that in our head. What we're doing is serious, well, you very know you, serious.
0: When you mentioned there that Jesus Christ, He is the chief cornerstone of this foundation, but He is not the totality of the foundation. Right. There are other aspects of this foundation and they're actually mentioned here. And we had a real good lesson the other night about loyalty to a church and its leaders. And so also mentioned in there, with. Christ being the so don't misunderstand me, Christ, without Christ, there is no foundation. But with the cornerstone in place, we can add other important foundational aspects to that. And that was the prophets and the apostles, mm-hmm. which we could, I'm going to go ahead and just call them church leaders. And so I think a lot of the reason why we're, we're going down, we that we even have to have this discussion today is because we're, we're rejected. The, we'll, we'll say the Christian um, or the uh, Israel identity, Kingdom Israel people are rejecting this. They're rejecting this verse. Before we even get into the, any, of, any of the other yes. doctrines that we're going to look at today, they have, in, in a whole, rejected this. We, have, we don't have, we'll say, proper organizations of church where there's leaders. We have church, some churches that have, everybody's a leader. We want to come together and we'll vote about it or whatever it might be. It's chaos. This, under, until we're able to, as a group, be able to at least acknowledge that we, we, have to, we have to have churches. We have to be willing to submit ourselves to the leaders of those churches. And uh, you, you take a, a church like this, there's, there's not a whole lot of them out there nope. yet. People will come, in, come even in festival, will come into this building, and they bring with them all their divisive um, doctrines, and they want to share it while they're here, and cause division, rather than say, listen, these guys got something going on, God's obviously blessing this, maybe I should at least, nothing else, keep my mouth shut, or pull myself underneath of them, and say, let's see what they have to offer, but instead... We have this attitude and I use festival just as an example, and I'm not saying anyone in this festival is doing this but they come here not to bring themselves under the authority of this, this, this church, not under the authority of the leaders of this church, but rather they're going to disrespect the authorities of the church, mm-hmm. and they say, "I come here to teach. I haven't come here to learn. I've come here to teach. I'll say, oh, okay, well, what church are you from? he so, well, I don't go to church. I, I, I mean, I've got my, my YouTube video channel, and I've got my TV and everything, and I've got a really good, high-quality remote control, so I can go through several channels at a time in just a few minutes, but that, that's my church. Mm-hmm. That's the problem, is that there's just no obedience. There's no desire to say, I need to go find a church. And if I can't find one, then I need to legitimately seek God and say, do I, do I, am I called to build a church? But sitting home doing nothing and Googling stuff on the Internet and thinking that I'm receiving prophecy because I'm all alone and I'm left with my own thoughts, that's, that's not what's being said here. No, not at all. That, and, and I'm going to call it what it is. I think that's a, a form of rebellion now I'm not here to offend I'm not here to hurt anyone's feelings but I did say from the beginning that I was going to be forthright with my my thoughts and if I'm wrong and you can prove me wrong i'll be I, I have, I've done a lot of apologizing in my life so I am not against I mean I'm against it <laughs> I don't like it but I can do it <laughs> so you show me that what I'm saying is wrong i I will apologize and I can tell you that i have I've changed directions here and there. They have not been easy directions to change because I have been proven wrong, and uh, I don't have time to go into my story. Seth took up all the time earlier on his story, but I can tell you that I have a conviction through an experience in my life that says I, I owe God so much that I am overwhelmed to even think about it. If you can show me this is what God wants, this is what God is saying. I don't have a choice. I've got to, I've got to submit to it. So let's, unless you've got some more preliminary, no, no, let's dig going. into our first uh, piece of doctrine. And the best place to start is we have to have an understanding who God is, the being of God. If if we're divided on that, we we're not even going to get into the starting gates. We have to just we have to come to grips who the being of God is. And if you want to take us down that road, real quickly, just. What would be the proper understanding of who who God is when we when we speak His name?
1: I think a really good place to start, and let's just call it what it is. And this seems to be, I've been shocked at how much trouble this causes. The doctrine of the Trinity, Mm. that God is a Trinitarian being. This is the way He has revealed Himself, and that a lot of this trouble seems to result. People like to make a lot of hay out of the, well, that word isn't in the scripture. Okay, I, I'm not going to argue that but the, because that, that particular descriptive technical term does not appear in the scripture, does not mean that the concept does not appear in the scripture. And that's, what we're talk, that's what we're talking about, is these intellectual concepts. So I, I think that's a, the best place to start with that. And you, know, you, you can find glimpses of this this is, this is one of those things that has to be studied and examined to be able to put, put together what's being said because there's no chapter in the Bible that I'm going to explain the interaction of the, the persons of, of the, the Godhead, how exactly this works. That chapter's not in the Bible.
0: And it's okay that we don't fully understand it.
1: Absolutely. I don't think we can yeah. fully understand it, to be honest. because And I think, that, that's, to me, that's part of the... Uh, that's part of the importance of this doctrine because we're, we're talking about a being who is he has deigned to communicate with his creatures in a way that, that we can understand if we apply ourselves and if his spirit guides us. But we can't understand everything he understands. It's not possible. And I, I would just like to uh, maybe, I don't know what Nathan has on this, but one of the first glimpses of, of this idea of a plurality is way back in Genesis when, when God said, let us make man in our image. Who is the us? And that's, we'll say, that's where I've, I'm already seeing that's a good place to
0: start. Weird, weird divisions. I, I've, I've heard a hundred things, and I'll tell you, one of them was, is it us, that God is literally speaking to the angels, mm-hmm. that the angels were going to be part of this really important piece of creation there yes. on the sixth day. And, the, that's, ridiculous. and that's, that's where the division comes, is that we, we walk away from the foundation that was set in the beginning and we say we're going to come up with our own thing mm-hmm. that's different from the apostolic church, different from what Paul taught, different from what Jesus
1: taught. Yes, and different from what the church is. Uh, and again, here, here's the thing. If we believe, I, let me be careful here. If we believe in the church Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail now, we don't we do not believe that the church is ex- what Rome says it is that the church can make and break doctrine. The church is supposed to guard and keep and, and understand the doctrine that's it
0: that's it
1: not make not make or change the doctrine. But if, if we believe that we can look back at church history, this problem has been discussed for many, many centuries. And to the, the idea that we can just take the entire, the entire body of the church teachings and ideas on the Trinity. Let's throw that in the garbage. And like you said, I'm, I'm going to sit in my recliner and come up with a better idea. Mm-hmm. That, that just, that can't be what God intends for us
0: well, to do. I have found, and this is not 100%, so I'm, I'm, and I don't spend a whole lot of times looking into this false teachings, but I have found that the few that have knocked on my doorstep and wouldn't go away, that not all of them, so I'm not, so the, I'm not saying this is 100%, but I have found that a good majority of them do not come from reading scripture. You don't, you don't read scripture and then you step back from it, and especially the entirety of scripture and say, oh, I'm seeing something there that these people over here aren't teaching. What is it? That's not what happened. It, it comes, in my opinion, in two ways. One is emotional, that you're in an emotional state of mind, either from a traumatic experience that you've never dealt with as a child or something really big has happened in your life recently, and you're reading through Scripture, and the only thing that's popping out at you in Scripture is what relates to your trauma mm-hmm. your whatever your emotional so you begin to build doctrine not intellectually but emotionally but the biggest one that i have found comes from pamphlet reading now i'm not i mean i've i've i put together a few pamphlets myself and put them out there so i'm not saying that in and of itself pamphlet reading and extra biblical book reading is necessarily bad but it has to be done with the right maturity level. And if you're not quite to that, you probably need to stay away from it. And when I say maturity level, I mean that you gotta have these foundations solid first. If you're teetering on what the Trinity is, you don't need to leave the Bible until you stop teetering. Because if you get any extra input other than what scripture says on the Trinity, you're gonna, you're gonna be messed up. Mm-hmm. And I have found, in, I've asked several that have tried to peddle some of their their false teachings in my way. I said, did you come to this reading a book, or did you come to this reading the book? And all of them have told me I I got it from a pamphlet, I got it from a YouTube video, or I got it from a, 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 a book that someone put in my hands. Which again, on one hand, I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but on the other hand, I'm saying that's not how we build doctrine. We build doctrine from Scripture. When Scripture pops out at you, yeah, we need to question what it's saying to us but when scripture didn't pop out at me for 20 years of my life, and then I read a pamphlet and said, hey, this makes sense, and then all of a sudden, I'm starting to question what scripture says, That's not the work of the Holy Spirit, my friends. That's the work of another spirit, and we need to be very careful that we test that spirit with scripture, and I'm Mm -hmm. sorry I interrupted you. No,
1: you're fine. I thought I was a good call. I, I was just going, I know we in the interest of time that there's a few other places we could touch, but one in particular, I don't know if it's often referred to. Where I, I'd invite you to turn if you got your Bible to Acts 20, uh, verse uh, 28. This is Paul speaking to the elders of Ephesus. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And he says something interesting. And let me just, let me just put, the, put this out there. The Bible the Bible is a logical book, because God is a logical God. Now, if if we can't understand it, that doesn't mean it's not logical. That means we can't understand it. But if we think carefully and we have the Holy Spirit guiding us, I I believe we can make a a lot of strides in understanding it. But look at this verse here. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now Paul is speaking of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, what we call the third person of the Trinity. So he has made these elders of Ephesus overseers over that. Well, who can do that? Well, only God can do that. That's a, The deity has to do that. The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Okay, so the Holy Ghost has the power to make you overseers to feed the church of God. Well, is this god this is the father of jesus this is the god of the old testament okay so we've got these two uh, these two beings which he now what does that pronoun refer to which god he hath purchased with his own blood okay well god is a spirit well, where does the blood come in well that's jesus christ so i, I think right here is a glimpse maybe the best we can we can understand of the three persons right here the holy spirit has the power to make the elders overseers to feed the church of god that is the father which he hath purchased with his own blood which that's teaching us right there that jesus christ is equal to the father not the same person though which is this is the exact problem that that christ uh, encountered in his discussions with The Sanhedrin, right? They were saying, "Who who are you, a man?" They can—they were going to stone him. And uh, there's just a glimpse right there of this concept that uh, that that the person and the being of God, He exists in a Trinity, in a triune form. That beyond that, I don't know how much further we can go. Well, let me read. Let me read this
0: verse, and then we'll we'll have to let settle the Trinity and move on to the next one. But uh, I. I think this verse will definitely help support what you're trying to put. When I'm in 1 John chapter five, verse number seven, and there are three that bear record in heaven. Mm -hmm. There's the Father, the Word, and all we have to do is go to John chapter one, and we Mm -hmm. see right there that the Word is is Jesus. So we have the Father, Word, or Jesus, and and the Holy Ghost. And these three, who got their Bible opening? Tell me what these three are. They're one. So we don't have any more time to really dig into this because this is a, a sermon, in of, it's actually five sermons in and of itself, <laughs> but there's no question that our, our founding fathers from Acts here, they understood that there was only one God, but there were three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And we can't, and honestly, if, if we can't get that right, it doesn't matter where we go from here. We're, we're, we're lost. We are, we are truly lost. And a lot of times, all it takes is a little obedience. Mm-hmm. It's a little willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to reject my I want desire to be super intelligent and smarter than everybody else. I'm not cursed with that, so I can't really relate. But I do know that some really do struggle with that. They, they just they have to find something deeper than is really there, mm-hmm. we have to just be willing to be obedient and say, this is what our founding fathers taught us, and we need to accept it, move on, and utilize that foundational block to help us be more accurate in other, in other things. All right, so now we, we to very briefly established what the Trinity is. That is the being of God. Uh, uh, maybe even we need to uh, maybe expand a little bit on... The person of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we have to get that right too. Mm -hmm. It's not just any Jesus. There's not any way to salvation. There are not many ways to salvation, but the the person of Jesus Christ, who is God, said that there's only one way to salvation, and that was God through Jesus Christ, who is God. Alright, again, I'm not saying that I fully understand that, but I don't need to. That's what faith is. I know that there's only one way for me to be redeemed from my sins, nothing else, and that's through Jesus. That's through Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Alright, so next one is, now that we know who God is, how do we learn and understand what God wants? How does God communicate to us. And here's another area. I mean, I've told this story before, so I'm not going to tell the story. I'll just briefly say it. I did have a lady that told me one time, said, I don't need scripture because I am a spirit led Christian. Which in translation means that she's in a really dangerous place and she's led by her emotions.
1: Well, you know, Nathan, it could be even worse than that. I'd have asked what spirit.
0: <laughs> and she has no way of testing it. It could it be even worse than that. Because she denies. The Bible. What, what was that you sent me the other day about? Uh,
1: it was some membership.
0: To, uh, the Bible was. Uh...
1: Oh, it was a, there's a Facebook page. I think it has over 700 members. Uh, that the the Bible is an idol and a lie because Christians are supposed to be led by the Spirit. That's a, right. That's the ultimate end of that kind of theological thought.
0: This is the ridiculousness that we get into if we can't get the Word of God right. And what we're explaining is probably isolated, it's, it, that's, it, that's not extreme. the norm, but that's here's extreme. what I think is the norm, and that is that there are many words of God out there. You can pick and choose anyone you want, and if you're a really smart guy and like to put together lessons, you can take many of them, bring them together, and pick and choose which version you're going to use to build a case that you want to build. I'm just going to, we don't have time to sit here and mince words, so I'm just going to put it out there. If God wrote one word, and all the word, and all the Bibles that claim to be Bibles don't read the same way, then only one of them can be right. It, does that make sense? Well, yeah, I see people nodding their heads, but I'm running into this on a daily basis where that's. Well, you know, King James is great, or this one's great, but, you know, this one over here, I really like how it sounds. But every once in a while, I go to this one because it says what I want it to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we here, here's the thing where we really have to come to, Seth, is we have to ask ourselves a question. Do I really want to know what God has to say? Amen. If you do, then you will make it almost your life mission to find out what that word is. And if you don't think it's the King James, although I egregiously disagree with you, because that's been my life mission and it's led me to the King James time and time and time again for the English speaker. And I'm an English speaker. I'm not a Greek speaker. I'm not a Hebrew speaker. I'm not an Aramaic speaker. That's why I struggle with concordance and all these people that want to read out of their concordance Bibles. I'm an English speaker. All I need to know is what the English words in this Bible say. And I need to understand maybe a little more grow in my English understanding. But in the end, that's what's because I, I, I have to believe that God has preserved an English language, which we'll quote a verse or two on that. But you have to make it your, your mission. Unless And if you don't, if you're comfortable. Again, I'm not mincing words, but again, I'm not here to hurt people's feelings. And I don't want you to walk away thinking that I'm all superior because, trust me, no one knows me better than me. And I shouldn't even be up here. I'm just trying to be obedient to my pastor, but I shouldn't be up here. But afterwards, if we truly want to know what God has to say, then we need to find and if you're comfortable with any all of it even two i i ask you the question do you really want to know what god has to say or are you looking for what you like god to say so i leave it at that so we need to put some verses out there
1: well i think that let me say that 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 is another serious problem in the modern world you know, you, there are, quote, Bibles out there that have, I mean, it's going to the extreme now where they have removed all um, of the scriptural language, speaking of God as father or mm-hmm. any in, in a male role. Some They've of the feminized- versions aren't
0: satanic by no means, they're just watered down. Mm-hmm. They don't, and here's, and I'm, I'm interrupting, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. But here's, here's where I come at this from, and I've, this is where I come at it from. I want the true word of God. And I, you know, I have comment, I have lots of commentaries. I'm, i mean, I'm even guilty of buying a set of commentaries and giving it to Seth. So I if he that. gets misled <laughs> down the, the road of this commentary, it's it's on me. That being said, I want the Holy Spirit breathed word. And I don't, when I when when I'm ready to, to read scripture, I don't mind reading other books. But when I'm ready to read scripture, I don't want any sugar in my coffee at all. I want the full-blown thing. And the others, some of them are really close to getting it right. But it's not the full-blown thing. It's got a little creamer. Now, in my my human life, I like a lot of creamer. I'm about a half and half, not half and half the the liquid, but I like about half creamer and half coffee. That's not how I want my scripture. I want my scripture, the pure, unadulterated, Holy Spirit-breathed word. And you're not going to get that in all scripture, in well, all Bibles, that, the books that label Bible Well,
1: I think that's a good word, unadulterated, because when something's adulterated, that's the, the root word of that is obviously adultery. When something's adulterated, there's something else mixed in with it. And, the, and again, this is a very complex subject, but you've got two... ...families of texts, and most of these modern Bibles are translated out of these Alexandrian, from Alexandria, Egypt. These Alexandrian texts that were rejected a very, very long time ago as being tainted with certain... A lot of this came from Origen. Mm-hmm. Origen was highly intelligent, and he also very heretical. And so these... The NIV has been one of the most popular Bibles in the United States probably for going on 40 years... Those, those, that Bible was translated out of texts that were found in a garbage can. Yeah. And as, why, why would the monks that had the text have thrown them in a garbage can? They must not have thought they were very valuable. <laughs> it's not like they couldn't read them. Yeah. And even if, you, you know, the, the, the basic text is 90 or even 95% the same. That's it. The devil's in the details. Amen. That's the problem. devil's in the details. And I, I, just let me give one example about this. This is a a famous verse. Everybody knows it. God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Everybody everybody that goes to church, to any kind of church, knows this verse. People put it on bumper stickers. That's probably the most known, most quoted verse in the Bible. Most of these modern, and, and all of these modern versions has changed. God gave His one and only Son. Now, I'm not even trying to say that somebody was really trying to be a heretic when they changed it. But that verse can be read, well, if, if if that's His one and only Son versus His only begotten Son, well, the script, the King James Bible tells me that as many as believed on Christ, He gave them power to become sons of God. God only has one begotten Son, that is Jesus Christ. But those who believe in Him, the Bible says they have become the sons of God. So, Is that a minor point? Maybe. But it's just an illustration that sometimes these translations can, whether intentionally or not, tell you things that aren't exactly true, and that can open some of these little... Holes, like you yeah. said, that lead you off into little strange heretical paths. Yeah, and some
0: of it is very subtle. And that's what very they tell subtle. you. Oh, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, some of the virgins leave out the, um, first, second, and third day. They just put a day. This is the end of the day. Leaving you to put whatever those days are, however you want. hmm and uh, so, and again, we, we can't, I want to read this verse because we have to move on. But in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse, beginning in verse 30, it says there, verse 30 rather, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongue and say, he saith. Talking about God saith. that We're saying, well, God said this. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err in their lies and their likeness. Yet I sent them not, nor command them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. So this goes beyond just the average reader. But if you're sharing... The gospel, if you're sharing what you believe is scripture and you're not reading it from scripture, I mean, if I, if I walk up and open up a commentary and say, let me show you what the word of God said, and I start reading commentary, I fit these verses and God says that I, that, that, that's not a good thing. That, I'm a liar. And then I'm representing, I'm saying, well, this is what God said. How many have said that? This is what God said. Are you sure that you're quoting what God said? I think that's an
1: important thing. Mm -hmm, Sure. And and you might be getting part of the story. And and I think uh, here's a a New Testament witness to that, uh, Romans 3, 4. Let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. We need to hear the real sayings and the real Word of God. And just getting seven-eighths of it or 15 16 of it, uh, that's just not quite enough. Well, you know, Seth, that that's all that was out there, maybe. But if we believe what Scripture
0: says, and, you know, if you don't believe what Scripture says, that's fine. You don't need to continue to listen to us because I'm not, my job is not to prove to you script what, that scripture's real. My job is to reveal to someone who's already by faith accepting that this is the Word of God. So the Word of God tells us that God has intentionally preserved His Word and protected it, and He has tried it seven times in fire so that it is the pure Word of God. I, I, I believe that. And if you don't believe that, then then what I'm saying here is not going to work, But and what Seth is saying is not going to work, but that's part of the problem, is that we have people that are comfortable in saying all of it's messed up a little bit. So oh, I'm going to do the best I can. And what that really means is, is that I'm going to pick what I like and I'm going to reject what I don't like and then I'm going to go and tell other people and then I'm going to find myself right there in Jeremiah where I'm speaking on behalf of God falsely.
1: Let, let me just, and I know we got to move to our next subject, yeah. but <laughs> let, let, let me share this with you. And this is what I always ask people. If all of it's messed up, and it's all a little bit off. What part's off? Maybe John 3.16 is off. What part is off? <laughs> Nobody can answer that question. Yep. Uh, that's something, if you can't rely on the Bible, and they say, well, this is as close as we can get it. Well, what part is off? Nobody can seem to give me a solid answer to that question.
0: Good. So, we have to have who God is. We have to submit ourselves to the, to the fact that God has revealed himself in a tried, proven, protected, and historically preserved word of God. Mm-hmm. And he has done so in our language. Okay, if I am a German, then I'm, I'm not gonna be using the King James necessarily. But as an English speaking Christian, the King James is where we're gonna land. Now, we need to move on to who? Is the Bible written to who, which if we understand the gospel, not only who the Bible is written to, but what is literally, who? who is the salvation up, uh, for? For. Mm-hmm. So that brings us in to the doctrine of election. Do so you want to expand on that a little bit, well, what the importance of, of understanding who the Bible is for and about?
1: Well, I think that uh, that, that particular That particular thing right there probably causes more trouble than almost anything else. I know we we've run into it online with oh yeah the people just people just get fighting angry with you about this, and the the idea that it I don't understand how a person can believe that there is an omnipotent omniscient God that and that all men are fallen and helpless to save themselves, and yet somehow God is not electing or choosing out of that number, I'm going to save this one, this one, and so on. Uh, I, I don't understand that. Y- yes, it's a frightening thought. Yes, And I think that's what drives a lot of it, that perhaps our uh, parents are afraid, well, what if my child isn't one of the elect? I, well, I'm not going to believe in that. I'm just going to believe in this free will. You save yourself. It just you know what, doesn't Seth, work that I way. I
0: think a lot of it is is that we're so unwilling to accept the fallen situation we're in.
1: Our real You're absolutely right. I mean, that's,
0: I'm a father. I, I the, the, the the thought that oh, my child is not acting like that they've been chosen. I I got to find an, an emotional way around, that. To get around so that free will says okay well now i'm in power i can all i have to do is just ram this bible down their throat and 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 convince them and maybe i'll even shed some tears of my conviction and they'll wake up and come but that that makes me god yes. and that's the problem is first we have to maybe we should put that doctrine on there total depravity we are living in a total depravity environment. We are totally te- deprived. There is no good in us. And part of the mainstream Christian church is is that you're so special because Jesus loves you. No, because you're miserable and disgusting and Jesus loves you, that makes him special. Not us. Yeah, his love for us didn't, didn't turn me into something good. It just goes to show who he is. He's something special to be able to
1: receive us. Anyway, so... Well, let, let me put this out there. Again, this is one of those little theoretical what else I like to ask people. If election, If, if, the, if the free will doctrine is true and everyone's will is totally free to choose Christ... And a a minister get, gets up and gives the most magnificent evangelistic sermon you can imagine. I mean, th- think about if Charles—if you could hear Charles Spurgeon preach—and just, just, just you need to believe. And there's two men out there listening. There's Bill and there's Bob. And Bill says, ah, that's, "That's a nice preacher, but I don't believe that stuff. I'm gonna go back to my life." And Bob is just broken down and weeping. Lord, I need to get saved. Amen. Why? Was he a little tiny bit more moral than Bill? Was he a little bit smarter? Maybe he understood yep. it and Bill didn't understand. It doesn't work that way.
0: There's a good person and a bad person.
1: It doesn't work that there way. There isn't. We're all We're bad. all bad people. We're, in our
0: human nature, we will always reject God because that's who we are. Yes. We're going to reject holiness. Only, and as I read this verse in John 15, because we're going to have to move on, John 15, 16. That's the same one I have. All right, well, <laughs> it's a good one. You have not chosen me. We are deprived. We will not choose God. If we're good enough to choose God, we're good enough to be good. Okay? We won't, you will not choose me, but I have chosen you. I have. God have. Christ has. The Holy Spirit is the driver but the choice is in God's hands. We got to get this right or we're going to be divided. False teachings come out of this if we get it wrong. We got to get it right. And bring forth the fruit that of the fruit shall remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in his name, he may give it to you. And I like that little phrase in there. It says that your fruit should remain. If you choose salvation, and then we got to move on. If you choose salvation, you can unchoose it. When I was a little kid, I loved the, the uh, um, oh, it was a candy bar, Three Musketeer candy bar. Okay. <laughs> I'd eat the chocolate off the outside, and then the, the soft little nougat or whatever, I would enjoy that at the last. That was my favorite candy bar. Now, at 43 years old, or 44, I, I'm not sure. I'm somewhere in that neighborhood. mid 40s, I have another candy bar that I like. That's what salvation will be to you if you are the one in the driver's seat, is that today, after an inspiring sermon, I want God. Mm-hmm. And then six months from now, oh, you mean I have to give up this? Eh, maybe I don't want God quite that much. That, that is a scary place to yes, be. So although I understand where people are in the fear of not having some say in their salvation... I also, being saved, have a great deal of confidence that my salvation is not going to go away because it is in God's hands,
1: not my stupid hands. Amen.
0: You got anything else to close that out?
1: I want to read one more verse. All right. From the Old Testament, Psalm 14, verse two. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's us. Amen. And that's why God has to choose us. Amen. And we can't save ourselves.
0: Absolutely. So, now that we understand where the source of salvation is, and again, they, all, everything we're t- looking at has hours of information. All we're doing is just putting out there, this, these are the doctrines that we, we, need, we need to quit bickering about. These are the doctrines that, that have been... Solid from the foundation where they're their source And we need to just accept them and, and build off of that. Not remove it and say, I need some special belief system in order to make me special. All right. So now that we know how to be saved, now we need to understand that through this salvation, through this shift. And we had a, a good lesson last night on the, the covenants. Mm-hmm. That we now have to juggle the concept of grace and law, Old Covenant and New Covenant. So under the Old Covenant, it was all law. Under the New Covenant, we now are saved by grace. And I'll go ahead and and read a verse that kind of establishes that. And it says, uh, for by grace, ye are saved through faith and not of yourselves. Uh Uh-oh. So if I choose... I know, I'm going backwards again. But if I choose to be the good person, Billy Bob, or whoever you you name there, oh, I like that sermon, I, I believe you, I'm going to accept Christ, oh, well that's that's a work, my friends. That's a work. All right. See, works are great when we understand that our works are made good because we're in God, God choosing us. When my works bring me to God, then that's that's, work by, that's, how, that's salvation by works and we, there is no place for that in scripture. So that being said, uh, it is not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, not our own workmanship, the works, the good works that we do in, our work, in this life, which are still totally depraved, but what little good we do is not of us, it's the workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should not walk in them. Now, because we've got to move on, I've got to just directly move to this point, I think. Okay. Now that we're under grace, does that mean the law is gone? Does that mean we're no longer required to keep God's law?
1: No, it does not mean that. All right.
0: Can you prove it?
1: Well, let me say, I find it fascinating that one of the greatest in fact probably the greatest statement that's ever been made about faith this, this statement literally set off the great reformation when Martin Luther read and, and grasped the statement the just shall live by faith that's found in Romans 117 but that's a quote it's found somewhere else it's found in Habakkuk 2.4 and the, which it says in the whole verse, behold his soul which is lifted up. Is, that is a person who is arrogant, who is his soul is, is uh, oh, I'm so impressed with himself. Is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That takes us all the way back to Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. The, the, the entire Bible is a story of faith. Yes. To do, th- th- this, was, this was exactly the pharisaical problem. We're going to keep the law perfectly and save ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we're, going to, we're good enough and you've got to accept us, God. That's, that, that's never, ever been the case. Going all the way back to the beginning of, of Genesis, that's never been the case. And the, the modern church has gone so far in the other direction to, since you're saved by faith and you live by faith, well, there's no rules at all. There's mm-hmm. nothing you've got to do. And I, the question I always ask them, and I, I've literally had people tell me, well, the Ten Commandments are laws. And, okay, so can we dishonor our father and mother? Can we kill people? Can we commit adultery? Now, it, it's th- That's absurd. It's just absurd to think that way.
0: Well, I, I heard a, a sermon that was talking about the Sabbath, and the sermon was trying to undo the concept that there had to be six literal days and then a seventh one, and then that pattern needed to hold true. Mm-hmm. The minister literally said, and I quote, the 10 commandments are more of a rule of thumb than a commandment. He said, the 10 commandments are more of a rule of thumb than a commandment. That is the ridiculousness. That we're getting into, and forces we're forced to go down these roads in order to make our teachings fit, rather than just say, "What does God say to do?" Now I know there's some things in Scripture that are not that take some thinking and take some digging. I get that, but we we need to be at least digging in Scripture and not saying, "Well, I can't make this fit. I'm trying and trying and trying. It won't fit, so I'll just change what it means." Mm
1: -hmm. So that being said. Um. And and that's what has happened. That's that's how the mainstream church has gotten to the point where it is. Because just the, these the commandments, the idea of obedience has been eroded for so long. And you know, even the apostle Peter said I, his brother Paul wrote many things that were difficult to be understood. And Paul has been taken to say. You don't. Uh, you don't have to do anything. You don't. have... Paul's saying you can't do anything to save yourself. Mm-hmm. He's not saying you don't have to obey anything. That's not what he's saying. Well, Paul
0: literally wrote here in Romans. I think obviously Paul had this same. There's nothing new under the sun. What we're going through is nothing different than ever was. But in Romans chapter six, verse one, it says, "What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" I mean. Uh, Whoever he was communicating this to, to, these are really unique and strong words. You're saying that I almost have to intentionally sin. And I had a preacher. I heard a preacher tell me, sometimes you have to go out and eat a ham sandwich to prove that you're not saved by works. I've got to sin in order to prove that I'm not saved by not sinning. That's exactly what Paul's saying here is that we need to avoid sin. And it goes on and says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin? That means we're not supposed to sin. And if we can sin, then that means that there's a a measurement of what is sinful and not sinful, which is God's perfect and holy law.
1: Not not your emotion. I wish I had
0: another hour to go on this.
1: I do, but I don't. Well, let, let me maybe wrap it up by saying... Think about what Paul just said there. And let's add to that what the Apostle John said. What is sin, sin is transgression of the law. Amen. You can draw the connection logically what's being said.
0: And why on earth would John be sitting there talking about sin if we are not subject in any way to being able to commit it? Amen. And and before, we'll say a more encouraging note on the law, the the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ changed how the law works for us. In the Old Testament, the law law was a curse because we couldn't keep it. That was was the standard in order that we had to meet and we couldn't meet it. So every day I woke up and found myself short of perfection was just another reminder how pathetic I am. We needed Christ. But Christ says these words about John the Baptist, if I, if I could read. And it says, uh, make sure I got my right spot, verse 11. Yeah, it says, uh, Verily I say unto you, this is about John, Among them are born of women. There hath not risen a greater than John the, than John, John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now if I got this right, what Jesus is saying is, is John died under the old covenant. So every good work that he did will only be counted against him because he failed to keep the law. Under the new covenant, we're already saved. Every time I do something good or follow the law, and I use the word good loosely, it is an expression of love to God. And it actually works as a adding to the crown. Under Jesus Christ, under the cross, we now can utilize God's holy law as a blessing to us. Whereas in the old covenant, it was a curse. And so not only are we, is it important as representatives of God to promote and keep his law, and we don't have time, but Matthew chapter 5, verses 70, 18, and 19 clear verses that explain this a little better, we have this, this wonderful opportunity that gives us that in our obedience, we have an eternal blessing that comes mm-hmm. with that. All right, and you got anything else you want to add No, to I think that's- All right, then the close to close this whole thing out from the beginning to the end is literally the end. The end. The judgment. And we, you know what, maybe this one just burned my biscuits a little more than the other ones, but it seems like that this is popping up more and more and more in my, my circles, and we got to get this right. And the truth of the matter is, we shouldn't even have to be talking about this. We shouldn't even have to be talking about it. It ought to be it. so obvious. From the beginning, it was established that there is a day that we are going to be judged, and if you're not under the blood of Jesus Christ, you're going to be judged to eternal death, and that death is a representation of hell and damnation. The, I'm, the lake of fire. So Seth, expand on that. I mean, well, let's is go. that a big thing? Is that a little thing? Are, are we? Am I making a mountain out of a molehill? Or if we don't get this right, is there consequences?
1: I think there's terrible consequences. And well, again, one of the problems we were running into here is the. What we say, how we teach, what we witness to other people, we're reflecting what we believe about God in the Bible. And one of the big things that's out there right now that's really, really serious is this. Um, I, I, we don't have time to really get into all of the mm-hmm. intricate details of it, but this idea that the, the judgment that's spoken of in the New Testament is, uh, occurred in AD 70 at the collapse of Jerusalem, the destruction of the nation of the Jews by uh, the Roman armies, and that's it. The judgment's done, everything's finished. Well-
0: But this is our reward. The, uh, now, I, I, I'm
1: disappointed. I, I am too. <laughs> terribly disappointed. <laughs> I'm gonna go home and pray about that. Uh, but the, that, that teaching is growing by leaps and bounds in the church. And I think in some ways it's a reaction to this, uh, this the the rapture doctrine that grew in the churches all during the 60s, 70s, and 80s and whatnot. But uh, it's, it's, that's really getting to be a, a serious problem. But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and now this, is just, this is going to tell us what happens to individuals. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, The judgment. We're all going to die unless we're alive when Jesus Christ comes back. And after that comes the judgment. We're going to be judged for our works. The world's going to be judged. It's not that the world, literally that argument, they're saying that the world was judged in A.D. 70, that all that was being talked about was a a political event and that everything just is going to keep grinding on and on like this. That is a, such a grossly heretical idea. I don't even know how to express it strongly enough.
0: The, would you dare to label that?
1: I would call that that, that is a heresy.
0: No, I mean, what, what branch of teaching is that called?
1: Oh, the technical term? Yeah. That is, the, the term of that is, is preterism.
0: preterism. Uh,
1: that, that is called preterism.
0: Now, again, we don't say that to insult anyone. We say that, so if you run into it, you
1: know, hey, I need to look at that closely. And, you know, there are ways to, there are ways to make it fit. Some people try to do it. I still think it's wrong. But when you take that to its logical conclusion, you got a serious problem.
0: Uh, and you know, you bring up a good point. Bring it to its logical conclusion. There's a lot of people that get on the road, but they don't look to the end. They say, well, you know, the road's good here in the beginning. I'm just going to... We'll be fine. They don't understand that the end result of their thinking is, is really messed up and, and dangerous. And
1: for some, very miserable. Absolutely. But we're warned in Romans two sixteen about a day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. A, a day when God shall judge the secrets of men. Now, this hasn't happened. That has not yet occurred. There's a day coming. The Bible consistently witnesses to that in the entirety, but both the Old and the New Testament, the Bible witnesses to that. Mm. And there's there's no way, no one can point to any historical event, no matter how terrible it is, where these things have occurred. We have not. When we're told every eye shall see Jesus Christ, that hasn't occurred. Mm-hmm. That has not occurred. I I, I was in an intricate argument online with several individuals about this probably a year ago. But I think we did a program on preterism, didn't we? I think we did, yeah. Uh, And that that is just one of many uh, of these teachings that try to deny the coming of the end, the judgment, and the eternity. And the eternal state is not going to be like it is today. If you how you can read, and I'm and I want to read and then I'll I'll finish this up and you can say anything you might want to add to it. At the end, and this ought to become as a word of encouragement Christ says here in Revelation chapter twenty. goodness chapter 21 verse 4 revelation 21 4 god shall wipe away all tears from their eyes there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away that's what we that's what a believer has to look forward to that's what we have to look forward to and that hasn't happened yet
0: now, i only add one other little branch. You, you, you went down a, a pretty good road, but there is a growing idea that eternal, the eternal punishment is not eternal. That's and the one, other we're, side we're, of the coin. Again, we're, we're out of time. We're about to close this out, but I, I just want to make sure that we at least touch that, that eternity is eternity. And if you eliminate eternal damnation, then in the very same verses that you do that, you have to eliminate eternal life. And that being said, you can extract. I, I see some, how some can extract from a verse or two. But our job is not to learn and know Revelation and nothing else. Our job is not to learn and know John three sixteen and nothing else. Our job is to compare every word, every verse to the totality of the rest of the Bible. And what you will find is, is that these false teachings, they... Kind of fit in this little corner, but they won't fit the whole room. We've got to use the whole Bible, and it is—it is not the Bible's job to conform to our thinking. When it doesn't fit, it is our job to back up and find out where the pieces fit. Well, that's all the time that we have today to uh, discuss this formally. Mm-hmm. We hope that you got something out of it, and we appreciate each and every one of you spending time with us here this morning. And uh, thank you, Seth, for for coming. He drove a long way to get here. Glad to be here. (laughs) And uh, well, may God bless you and have a wonderful day. Thank you.